Generosity Path podcast, a space for global conversations with people from different walks of life about the impact generosity has had on them. It's a place of inspiration, encouragement, and hopefully joy as we hear about the transforming power and potential of generosity to change the world. Well, welcome everybody to the Generosity Path podcast. I'm here with my good friend and the founder of Generosity Path, Daryl Heald. Daryl, how are you doing today? Hey, Jay Paul. Good to hear you this morning. Yeah, we're doing well. Uh, Super excited about this story from South Africa. Oh, my goodness. Friends. (laughs) So excited. Well, Bertie Lawrence, it is good to have you with us. How are you doing, my friend? Hello, Jay Paul, and hello, Daryl. Good, it's a good 30 or 32 degrees Celsius. Where is that? Is that deep in the 100 Fahrenheit? Yes. <laughs> At the end of my day yeah. with the sun beaming, the afternoon sun beaming through my office window. So it's so it's great. And once I'm done with oh, this, I'm yeah. going to go swimming with my kids. I love it. Okay, so Bertie. Uh, Bertie Lawrence is the managing director of Waste Plan, which is a national on-site man- waste management company. They specialize in recycling and landfill reduction. Um, Their services include on-site sorting and cleaning, waste reduction, electronic monitoring, um, all of that good stuff. They have a a, um, really pay attention to to green um, recyclable waste from nearly 60,000 households. Um, and they service over 70 clients in the industrial, commercial, food and beverage and medical industries. Well, Bertie, we had, um, I think we met six years ago at a Journey Generosity retreat um, outside of um, Johannesburg and and several facilitators, but you and Leslie were in um, my group. And I just remember you really, really processing hard as we were going through that. Yeah. I love, can you, can you think back what were what were some of the things that were that you were processing there? The first thing is, first of all, the topic of generosity mm-hmm. um, is a is a topic that's avoided in the church circles. It's avoided mm-hmm. uh, at the social gatherings. It's avoided when we have dinner parties, and <clears throat> that was the first thing that struck me that there was a a setting where it just felt so comfortable to talk about generosity and it felt foreign but liberating at the same time. I was just battling with connecting this world that I come from where generosity is taboo, it's not talked about, and then viewing this radical extreme of it and seeing the, the freedom and hearing the freedom in the voices of the people that speak and and it, and it came from both, both sides of the wealth spectrum, the very poor and the very wealthy. And I saw the same freedom and I saw the same joy. And it was just, too, it was just a whole lot of things to puzzle together. And that's why I was, I was just deep in thought <laughs> to try and make sense of it. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great, uh, great reflection. Um, Bertie, so talk a little bit about some of the decisions you made as a, in, in follow-up to that experience? Well, um, the first thing that my wife and I chose is, 
And it's a small step, but it was a vital step that the two of us became free in and discussing generosity, at, at least just among us and in our house with our kids. And we were just we were just dealing with the one off to the next layer of um, lies that the enemy has lied to us over years of what does generosity look like uh, to a beggar? Yeah. And what does it look like to a poor person who's trying to fight for a decent living? And, and you know, they, one developed all these theologies, but it's really just man-made theologies that we adopt. What's happening in South Africa right now that you think would be helpful for us to, to know? Daryl, just some high-level numbers. We have more or less 60 million people, majority of them poor. We have 4 million taxpayers. That gives you an idea out of 60 million, okay? And um, and the reason for that is just the, the, the poor just do, do not earn enough money to even afford taxes. So they only really tax the middle class and up. Um, but some, some worrying stats, we have a official unemployment rate of, I think, 28%. And with COVID, it's expected to go over 50%. And we haven't done a census on that yet. And um, some of the youth in our country, uh, people under the age of 35, 53% of that group of people are unemployed right now. And we're talking about people that are ready to be employed. Half of them cannot find jobs. The uh, education system is thoroughly broken. Um, if you measure a group, uh, the entire group of grade ones that start in any year right now, by the time that that same group gets to grade 12, only 4.2% of them will pass maths in grade 12. The rest of them will either fail or they'll drop out along the way. I think more or less 40% of school starters drop out before they get to grade 12. So that's the situation. So poverty is perpetual at the moment, and it's getting worse because of a broken education system, a, uh, a tax pool that is getting smaller, and a social grant pool that is getting larger. Uh, maybe the second time I came and I was visiting with you and you were, we were driving to your house uh, from, from the office, and uh, I saw you reach into uh, to, to get some coins as you approached the traffic stop. I, I noticed it after what happened, but um, but it was it was really interesting. This man approached your car. It's like and, and instantly I knew that y'all knew each other, and you called me by name. Uh, tell us a little bit about just <laughs> I, I was just I was just amazed at your and his name relationship his, there. His name is Bennett, and he's still there at the same traffic light. And hmm. and um, over years, he found ways to spot my car. Twenty cars down the line. Now Bennett, <laughs> now Bennett has a broken back, so he's completely bent over ninety degrees. And yeah. uh, but you can see that guy running with a bent over back when he sees my car. It's just after that weekend. Uh, the first thing my wife and I decided that we are going to be radically generous with those that people have the biggest problem with, and it's typically the beggars. Mm. Now, it's a yeah. very inconvenient thing to face that at every traffic light, every stop, or even every yield place, there's someone tapping on your window, signaling that he's hungry. And over time, you become callous and cold towards it because around, around the barbecues, we have these conversations that people go and do all sorts of things with the money, and it's not good 
to give them money. So that was the first thing my wife and I decided we were going to go against that. And it's mm. his job to be accountable before God one day with what we give. It's our job to be generous and we're going to do that radically in a way that the motorists around us can see it and be challenged by that. So we just decided we're going to go big. And uh, so Be- so Bennett was the first, first one of the first beneficiaries of that decision. And, uh, and of course, you know, you can imagine all the other cars see this guy running down the line and and then when I give him something, I, you know, many other people do it like secretly. They fold up the, they fold up the note and they secretly hand it. I decide I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do it boldly. That everyone can see the number I give them, you know, so that they are challenged by yeah. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So now it's, it's fun to do that. I love it. I love it, Bertie. Tell us a little bit about some of the decisions you've made in your company. You and Leslie have made some some pretty amazing decisions related to generosity and waste plan. Jay Paul, it started with a, a, a moment back in time, early 2013. Uh, I have just come off a very bad two years. Financially, the company was in a very bad state. It was, it was technically bankrupt <clears throat> and... You know, we, we keep saying that it, it doesn't matter how hopeful you are about your bankruptcy, but when the the receiver of revenue, we call them SARS, you call them something else, but, you know, the government that collects the taxes, when mm-hmm. they send a court order against you to close you down, then that's the final straw. You don't save yourself right. out of after that. Now, I've already had a court order from from our government to close us down because of all the taxes we owed and never paid. So it was really bad. And um, and the previous year I have surrendered to God and just admitted that um, that, I've, that I've tried so hard in my own strength and it has failed. And I'm now convinced that I don't have what it takes to, to build a business or be successful in business. And if it's his desire for me to, to remain in business, then he would need to save the situation. And then he did. He did. He saved yeah. me from something that was more desperate than what <clears throat> anyone can survive. So so when I started my year in 2013, I was very cautious. I was still a little bit wounded. But I knew that my father had a great plan, and I didn't want to miss it ever again. And I asked him to um, show me how I should go about rebuilding this business. And I felt good whisper something crazy to me and that was that he wants me to give away give away and um and i had this long conversation with him and i journaled much of it that i have nothing to give i only have debt and if that's what he wants i'll gladly give it and i felt god say i've got shares in the business i have equity i can give that and uh so I made a commitment that I'm going to give him shares in my business because I believe that's what he's asked. And I started the journey of doing that in 2013. And I kept on scheming how to do that. And uh, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to do so. How do, you, how do you put that on a share register? And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I met a man at the end of 2013, Francois van Nikerk, who has done something similar 30 years earlier. And he has built a huge uh, empire 
after that decision. And that was very helpful for me to realize, here's someone who has also heard this call to invite God as a shareholder into your business. And I, I could see 30 years down the line how well that turned out for him. So it just made it so much easier for me to continue on that decision that I felt God asked me to make. And he helped me in the process to set up a foundation, donate the shares into that foundation, and those shares eventually grew to 51%. And so where we are now, God owns 51% in effective control of the business through a foundation structure that's run and governed by friends of mine whom I trust hear God's voice. They have the power to, um, to fire me from that board, and they have the power to fire me as the CEO of this company. And and they would only do so if I turn my back on God and I refuse to repent. They have the power and they'll exercise that power. I've never been more free in my life since I've done that. Because it's not my job any longer to figure everything out. I know my father has got it figured out. All I need to do is just find him in the morning, look for him, find him, listen to him and have the courage to obey him. Thanks, Verity. Um, that's, that's, that's an amazing uh, piece. I love how how you, I mean, this whole kind of thread of freedom is coming through and just how you even describe that yourself and, and the thing that as you're going through the job, you were seeing and hearing in, like, I love how you're saying that, how you're seeing that as this, these video stories are told, but also in their voices. And uh, yeah, yeah. I can hear it in yours, obviously. So, we know it's real. Um, so thanks for thanks for doing that. And uh, uh, could you also? I know you, you also um, struggled with um, significant health issue, and that was um, that also created. Um, I mean, just kind of like the crisis of uh, you know almost losing the business. Um, um, can you talk a little bit? Just give some people a little bit of the story on what happened with you with your health. So there are the the one thing that that happens when we work so hard in our own strength to build our businesses. Uh, the first thing that we do is we neglect, neglect our families and then in the process we neglect our health because we are so obsessed with being successful. So uh, towards the end of 2013, I just got really ill um, after a trip to Italy and it just got worse and it was intestinal problems and you, you go to your GP, you start, you start with the light medication and then it just gets heavier and heavier and eventually the, the GP said, we have to test for cancer. So let's just do that, you know, get it out of the way. So, of course, you, you do that test and you, you dread when the phone rings and the phone rang a day or two later with a very worried doctor and he said, you need to come see me now. So. I knew what I was going into and he explained to me that I had all the all the symptoms of uh, prostate cancer. I was 38 at the time and uh, and, he, and he very calmly talked me through the procedures, immediately got on a call with another doctor friend to get me into a urology hospital for, for further tests uh, a few days later. But I remember when I left the, the doctor's room, that's when everything came apart. I was still holding it together and I was holding it together <laughs> but that day everything came apart Daryl and 
It's as if my entire life unraveled in a matter of seconds and the reality of what's busy happening came over me like a bucket of water as I walked myself to the car and it felt like mm-hmm. an eternity where I I started crying as I'm walking to my car and just speaking to God and say, God, I know that there was a king in the Old Testament some time ago and he was at the end of his life. It was, I think it was Hezekiah and yes. he cried out in repentance mm. And, mm. and God extended his life. And I said, please, would you do the same for me? And wow. um, so I repented of, um, and it was immediate. I knew, I knew exactly what, what, what God was asking of me, that I needed to repent for, for neglecting my family the way I did, for, you know, so just always pushing another hour at the office and just another email mm. and another phone call and coming home and being on phone calls on my way home, sitting in the driveway, <clears throat> finishing phone calls while my family is sitting at the dinner table waiting for me, kids standing at the window, beaming faces waiting for dad to come in, yet dad chooses to just do another phone call. And so, <laughs> so I repented and, um, and, and I made a vow to God that, number one, I will seek him every day of my life. I will not start a day again without him. Uh, and with that, I'll have the courage to obey whatever he tells me. And then the second vow was, and I will honor my family with my time. Exactly what they deserved. And, um, and I think that's exactly what he was waiting for. Because once I made that commitment, um, things really started changing in the business world. Um, and it just, and yeah, it, it just right. got freer. And it just became easier to do business. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the, you know, back to waste plan. So do your employees know the commitment that you've made? Um, And talk a little bit about that. And also, are there some ways that you have been able to be generous with your employees and and colleagues and all that stuff at Waste Plan. Yeah, you can imagine after a year, like I've just explained, that um, you know you start you start your business again. You give you give it a restart, mm-hmm. and you started with new convictions. So I was very verbal about that, and uh, and I explained to my staff that the way that we've been building this business, uh, I don't think was pleasing to God. And I'm now vowing that I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And some of it might be very challenging for some people. And I would not, uh, I would not try and convince them to stay if it was offensive to them. And I don't want to be offensive to any other religious belief. But this is the way that I built this company. And you are free to stay and enjoy the journey or leave. And, um, but, but very soon after that, I realized, and so they will watch every action. <laughs> and yeah, so so myself and my senior team just slowly started um, exploring ideas to exhibit what this loving father that I talk about. What does he look like, and and how does he how does he do business? And um, and it started with very basic things of. Uh, establishing a set of values 
And one of those values is fairness, and another one is respect, and they go very close mm. together. We are all equal in the eyes of God. I have different responsibilities than the cleaner. And for that reason, I get paid a different salary, but we are both equal in value in the eyes of God. And so the treatment of one another, the way we speak to one another, about one another, will be with respect at all times. And everyone needs to call out disrespect when they see that. And, um, and, and we don't get that right yet. Uh, it's, been, it's been a few years of, of, of working hard at it. But what I found that, you know, the living out of values eventually become a culture. And the culture of our company has become a something that one doesn't realize until you stop and you look at other companies and you see the difference. And we have recently acquired one of our competitors of equal size. And as we're integrating their staff into our business, we are starting to see the difference in cultures. And, wow. uh, and now we're starting that same journey all over again with, with all the new stuff. There, too, what you give people a little idea just the scope and scale on your business when he's playing and all these employees or, or employees you're talking about? So Daryl, at this stage, two and a half thousand employees uh, spread over more or less seven cities. And the big majority of them are uh, very poor. So it's, it's people that do cleaning and sorting of waste. And then you have a few layers of middle management and then senior. So, so all our management together is 150 to 200 people. And then the rest of them, general workers, uh, lorry drivers, assistants, etc. That's more or less the scale. Yeah, and I, I assume that the you know as you as you think about compensation and and their pay, this I mean how generosity is personally affected you and your you creating this culture. How is that figured into how you comp how you compensate people all the way down the line, Daryl? Let's start with the, the source or the origin of poverty. And I think there are several definitions that are um, you know, limited to the geographical and socio-economical space where you operate. And what, the way we've defined it was the beginning of poverty in South Africa is the lack of proper education. There are many other mm -hmm. things to that, but that's definitely one of the things. So we decided the people that come into our business that are generally unemployable in other industries. We need to start to work with them, to give them a desire to educate themselves better. And, and as they educate themselves better, they acquire a few more skills. We then give them more responsibilities so that they could exercise these additional skills. And with that comes um, a higher pay. And we've eventually seen that we've created a pathway out of poverty in our company one out of the 100 guys who get it, he goes, he connects the dots. Because once he's gone through one cycle of acquiring skills, applying it, more responsibilities and more pay, he wants to press repeat and he just keeps pressing repeat. Mm. Wow. So once a person connects the dots, then we will come alongside with him and we will, we will pay for the education that that person desires. So we have, we have several success stories with that. And, and then just further in our company, most salaries are all linked 
from the lowest paid earner until the top paid earner is me. And each layer of income is a function of the layer just below. So I can never earn oh, more really? than a certain percentage mm -hmm. uh, above the guys just below me. And so it continues all the way down the bottom. So if I want to earn more, I need to uplift the entire organization from the lowest paid earner all the way to the top. And that keeps one accountable. Yep. Wonderful. So Bertie, tell us, tell us a, a personal story uh, that hits close to home where you were able to be generous or a recipient of generosity. Jay Paul, I had a wonderful moment with my oldest daughter once. And in this journey of us exploring generosity, one sometimes forgets that the kids make decisions. And then one day they act on that decision and then it surprises us. So she yeah. received birthday money from her grandma. And she asked, she really just wants to buy a few pair of shorts. I took her out to the mall. And after a long while, she only really bought one. There was nothing else she liked. And we came back and she had some change. We stopped at the traffic light just before we got home. And, um, and there was a beggar there. And she instantly rolled down the window. She took all the rest of her money. She handed it to him. And as he came and he took the money, the first thing he did was he says, thank you, God. Oh, wow. And the light went green. She rolled up the window as if this is normal. And I look at her and I go, do you know what happened here? She goes, yeah, I, I didn't need this money anymore because I bought my shorts. But he needed it because he doesn't have food. And I was bowled over by how easy it was for her to do that. Okay, she took all her income, she mentioned she spent it on what she needed, and she gave everything else away. And that was normal wow. to her. But seeing the reaction of the beggar, and his name is Joseph, I wonder whether he just, he was just in a very bad spot that day. And he was, he was mm. praying, because that was his natural response. Thank you, God. That's great. I love that. Bertie, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this Generosity Podcast. I want to thank all of our listeners and our friends from around the world who have been uh, able to, to tune in and listen to this conversation. Um, on behalf of both Daryl and I and the Generosity Path team and our friends around the world, we want to say God bless you. Thank you, Jay Paul, and thank you, Daryl, for making the contribution. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Generosity Path podcast. Pay it forward by rating, sharing, and subscribing. To find out more about connecting your own passions and purpose with your giving, visit generositypath.org or engage in the conversation by following us on social media. Let's make the world a better place.